Well, it's that time of the year again, and uh, if it hasn't happened already, I'm sure sometime this week someone around you will begin a conversation with, I can't believe how fast this year's gone. That's uh, the talk of school pickup and that and the smoke this week. If you uh, have small children around, friends you haven't seen in a while will come by and comment on how much taller your children are now and office parties and family get-togethers are just around the corner. And of course, Christmas decorations are out in full force at the shopping centres. They've been out since Easter, haven't they? Um, Now, we're a month out from Christmas Day, which means we're getting to that time officially known in the church calendar as Advent, this time of... Uh, anticipation and, and waiting for the day for Christ to come into the world and whether you're an avid observer of the church calendar uh, or not you might have already begun feeling the kinds of feelings that are typical in this season of the year and looking forward to Christmas uh, for all kinds of reasons maybe one of the things you're looking forward to is a break Uh, in the normal mill of things, just the period of forced shutdown at work or a break from school. Maybe you've got some holidays planned, maybe even some travel or a quick trip up the coast, so you can't wait till till Christmas. Or maybe like so many little people around Christmas time, uh, one of the things you're waiting for is your presents for this year. Uh, Whether it's your family that allows it on Christmas Eve or lunch, on Christmas Day, different families have different uh, traditions about what's done, but that moment when you get to tear into uh, your presents and rip open the, the, the wrapping paper, there's nothing better when you get to see this brand new whatever it is that you're looking forward to under the tree. Or maybe if you're like uh, Sebastian Leong, I don't see Seb here this morning, maybe he's... Um, uh, I remember being in a small group with Seb one year, uh, it's around Christmas time. Technical difficulties, wardrobe malfunction. Thank you. Um, we did a Christmas meal together as a small group, and Seb pretty much waits all year to get a perfect slice of glazed Christmas ham. Uh, you know that feeling, that, that little first taste of Christmas ham, a little bit sweet, super tender just the right amount of fat and smokiness, the good stuff. Uh, And there's only one month to go for our dear Sebastian. He'll have to hang in there. But right now, in this last week of November, for now, we wait. And that waiting is the rhythm of life that we collectively find ourselves in one month out from Christmas. Work's not done yet. School's not out yet. We're waiting in anticipation of good things to come. The point of Advent in the church calendar is to focus Christian people on the feeling and expression of hope and faith while we wait for God to come through on his promises to save. Hope is such an important thing. It helps us address our doubt and our tendency to get distracted. And Advent draws on the experience primarily of Israel, the faithful remnant of the Jews who were the ones who held on to God's promises through thick and thin, waiting for Jesus, waiting for their Messiah. 
And waiting is not much fun, even at the best of times, let alone, well, you think it would be particularly hard for Israel through the downward spiral of the nation into exile and out of it. And I'm not going to assume you're all across Jewish history. I'll just go into enough now so that you can follow what I'm saying before we hit to Isaiah 40. So a brief Jewish history spot begins now. Uh, You might remember at the founding of the nation, God, through Moses, he makes an agreement with the people of Israel that they would be his people and that God would be their God, that he would bless them and and give them a land that's their very own, flowing with milk and honey. He promises all these good things. God would defend them and keep them secure and there'll be peace and joy and happy days if if the people would remain faithful to him, if they would live according to his way. And the people said, we and our children will obey. Now the flip side of that was the warning that if the people chose to be unfaithful, and if Israel wandered away from their God and started following other gods, if they forgot God's ways, God warned them very clearly at the start that, well, you know, they'll no longer enjoy his blessings. They'll no longer have their land. They'll be scattered by their enemies and all sorts of terrible things will begin to happen to them. You fast forward a thousand years and it's a pretty sad story. The people who said we and our children will obey, they didn't obey for the most part. A few did, but most didn't. And God, in his patience and in his heartache, he sends prophet after prophet after prophet to his people, trying to call them back to follow him again. Warning after warning. Reminding them that if they keep on not listening, then his judgment's going to come. But they, the people and their leaders, persist in walking away from God and he hands them over to their choice. As you uh, look through the Old Testament, you know that foreign powers come to defeat Israel in war and the Jews are scattered to the four winds. Assyria smashes through them, as does Babylon. But in God's mercy, he holds on to these small pockets of his people, a small remnant are preserved, even when they've been taken out of their land and the Jews get resettled in all sorts of places, uh, like Assyria, or actually Assyrians didn't happen, like places like Babylonia and, and Persia by emperors who conquered them. And even there, in these other countries, far away from home, God sends his people prophets. And these prophets, to the people in exile, they speak words of promise and hope. Words like what was read for us in our Bible reading today, that God hasn't forgotten his people, that he's coming to save them. And I'll read those verses for you again now. Isaiah 40, 3 to 5, and I'll put that on the screen. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Uh, A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up and every hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places are plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Here and in many other places, God tells his people, I'm coming. Hold on, I'm coming. And in the exile, what's left 
of the Jews might be in a sorry state. They've taken a beating politically and spiritually. But God says to them, I'm coming. And those verses there, they give you the sense that the speaker knows those receiving the words are in a bad spot. You you see the details there. The, The good news comes out of a place of barrenness. It's wilderness and desert. And from out of the rough, there's a voice like a herald who goes ahead of a king to announce his coming to get people ready, prepare the way for the Lord, lay down a highway, straight, flat, and direct for him to come through. I wonder if you've had that experience of driving up and down the many highways that this vast brown land of Australia has. Joyce and I discovered early in our marriage that we actually really enjoy driving holidays, which was a surprise to the both of us because we hadn't done that much before. It's uh, coming up to 10 years now. We've done plenty of kilometres between us, exploring all these different towns that we have in Australia, the different cities that are linked. It's such a big country, so spread out. And just kind of imagine whoever it was that poured all that much concrete. I remember trying to think once about all the uh, millions and millions of litres of white paint that someone had to mark every road we have. Good business, that. Because highways are those high-speed zones, you want them to be fast because it's such a long way you have to go. There's only ever the occasional bend or incline on the highway. Uh, Because what you really want to do is to go as fast as you can from point A to point B. You don't want to be braking or or manoeuvring around so much. So people who set the road, you can imagine when they come to hills, when they come to more rugged landscape, instead of sending you around the set of hills or making you bump up and down over the different winding valleys, what often happens, what they've done is just cut right through. Using diggers or explosives more likely, they clear a straight channel for a highway, giving you the most direct route that they can. And this is the sort of terraforming that you sort of see in Isaiah 40, verse 4. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, rough ground shall become level, the rugged places as a plain. Who's the road for? It's for God. Because he's coming. Him and his glory and everyone is going to see it, says the prophet to a people in exile. God is coming to save. And while that's a message of glorious hope, I think that message would have been hard to believe if you were one of those Jews living in the middle of a foreign country having lost a war, being occupied by a foreign power. Because put yourself in those shoes, if all you have to go by were the external circumstances that you can see, it's clear that God is not here. And for significant periods of Israel's history through the exile, the temple lay in ruins, the priesthood was a, a sham, the law and the scriptures were forgotten by most people, and your average Jew, while... They might have some familiarity with the promises of a Messiah. I wonder how much of that would sit in the forefront of your minds from day to day. I wonder even if Isaiah's words here, when they first fell on the ears of the original hearers, whether they would have accepted this promise with excitement or whether they had real doubts about whether this was ever going to happen. Because there was a lot of time between when Isaiah wrote this and when Jesus came onto the scene. That was a lot of waiting. 
including a period of about 400 years when you know there's no prophets and no message from God to the people, and every bit of divine revelation seems to have dried up. What do you do then as a Jew in exile, having not heard from God a fresh word for 400 years? Generations and generations of people just trying to make do in a tough environment before Jesus comes all of a sudden to shine his light into the darkness. But before he comes, generations come and gone with no hint that the promise like we have in Isaiah would ever be fulfilled. Now, here ends the Jewish history overview portion of my talk for today. What's that got to do with us? Why do I bring it up? I'll put it to you that the person of faith in God today faces the same sort of trial as the person of faith back then. Because we have the promises of God that he's going to come, but not the fulfillment. Not yet. They were promised a saviour and had to wait for him. We are promised the coming again of that same saviour. And we find ourselves having to wait. And waiting in faith has never been easy for anyone. Three things in particular I find hard about waiting. Uh, staying confident is hard. Staying focused is hard. And staying energized is hard when you have to wait for a long time. Staying confident. Uh, particularly if I'm waiting for someone for a long time and they're not showing up, one of the things I start questioning, the longer I have to wait, is are they going to come at all? Uh, what's a reasonable amount of time to be waiting for someone to meet you on a date before conceding that perhaps you've been stood up? Of course, these days you just call the person up on the phone and ask them where they are, but imagine you had zero reception. How long do you wait? I think I've told this story before, so some of you may know it, about the time I got stood up once by this girl I had a crush on. Uh, year 11, year 12, I think. Carlene and I worked at the same after-school tutoring centre for kids who can't read good. Um, she, was, she was much smarter than me. She was a James Roos person. But I always got to work before she did, and so I'd be seated by the time she comes in and waltz past my desk to where she was sitting. And she always wore this distractingly nice-smelling perfume. Uh, maybe I'm just remembering things through rose-coloured glasses. It took me about a, a term of working together before I worked up the courage to ask her out on a date. Uh, and to my surprise, she said, yes. She agreed to meet me on the steps of Penno Library Friday night, 6 o'clock. Because that's what you do. We we're going to go into the city. It's 6 o'clock, Friday night. Time's come. I'm, I'm all ready. She's not there. No biggie. 6.10, still no sign of her. I'm thinking she's probably just running fashionably late because that's what you do. 6.20 and I'm starting to feel like a bit of an idiot. I wasn't a very confident kid when it came to relationships and my thought space was all at that 6.20 past. I was thinking, I knew it was stupid to be true. She wasn't ever going to come, was she? Why would she want to go out with me anyway? She said she'd be here, but she's not here, is she? She's not coming. What kind of a person does that to someone anyway? And it's so embarrassing. 6.25, I'd had enough and I left by myself. Found out much later, she actually did show up that night, about 6.30, I think it was. Um, 
She was running really late because she was spending all the time getting ready and there was dramas on the road. It was back in the day when hardly anyone um, carried mobile phones and you wouldn't give a phone to a kid anyway, so she couldn't call me to tell me that she was on her way. But I didn't have the confidence that she was coming, did I? Because I didn't really know her and I had no real way to tell if she could be trusted or that she even cared. But God has a great track record of keeping his word. And you know God cares. Maybe Israel, waiting all those years for their Messiah, had moments when they felt like that. Does God care? You know what? He's not coming, is he? But we, from where we sit, we can look back and see God did come through for Israel. Always has. Always will. Jesus came, as promised. And the best indicator of someone's character and trustworthiness is how they've been in the past. And God is faithful. So when Jesus says to us, look, I'm coming soon, there's no reason for us to believe otherwise. He will come good on his word. The other thing I find difficult about waiting in faith is staying focused. Yes, we trust our God, but to stay focused on waiting is, well, our world, if you haven't noticed, is a pretty distracting place. It doesn't stay still. There's always something going on. And there's all sorts of good things to do even. Responsibilities to fill. We have all sorts of dreams and aspirations to pursue. There's so many videos on YouTube. Someone has to watch. There's stuff to do. What about when things go wrong? When there's a crisis, that really demands our attention. And if you're the pragmatic sort, the problems in our life and in our world, they're obvious to us, aren't they? We use our whatever we have to find practical solutions or political solutions or financial solutions to all the issues that bother us. Our minds and our hands get tied up just surviving, let alone thriving. And doing life takes just a lot of attention. Think about Israel and all their temptations to behave like the nations around them, especially in their exile when they're scattered and everyone's just trying to survive in a busy world that's forgotten God. This is a tricky place to wait for God and not get distracted. Because there's so much noise and colour. And where in this world is there going to be room for the promises of God about the imminent coming of Jesus? In all the noise and colour, who's going to remind you that Jesus is coming? Who's reminding you other than other people of faith? We've all got a part to play in keeping each other focused on God and on his mission in this world, whether that's in Pennant Hills or Eastwood, one of those 30 countries behind that wall, into Central Asia, to the ends of the earth. Don't be that driver in the front of the traffic queue, distracted and checking his phone missing the green light that's telling him to go. No, focus on what we're doing here. Yes, we're waiting. But this is not the time to get distracted. Keep your hands on the wheel. Keep your vision focused. Uh, the final thing I've noticed that makes waiting hard, yes, uh, trusting that someone's going to come is hard and staying focused is hard, but it's also hard 
if you're waiting a long time, you just get tired. Waiting is tiring. And you can't really rest if you're longing for something and it isn't here yet. Until the day Jesus comes, the posture we've adopted is one of waiting. And if you're committed to that, it means you're not setting deep roots here and now. It means your choices are going to reflect your hopes for a future glory. That shapes your priorities and your choices, and it means that now is not always going to be the most comfortable place to be. Now is not the time to rest and get comfortable. Now is the time to work and not to count the cost. Rest and comfort and glory comes when Jesus does, and until then, what keeps you going? You can probably testify to this just like I can. As you work, God lends us his strength so that we can keep doing the things that he's asked us to do. Particularly when you feel like you've exhausted your store of it yourself. When there's nothing left in the tank, a consistent testimony of lots of people I've met is that God gives strength. And God knows that it can get discouraging. We're not that strong. What to say at the end of Isaiah 40? I'll bring up some verses on the screen. This is Isaiah 40 and verses 27 to 31. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, even young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So my encouragement to you this morning is to put your hope in him. Find a strength in him beyond what you can imagine to keep running this race that has put you on. Here we are again, one month out from Christmas. It's so close you can almost taste it. But right now, our lot is to wait. And this morning, would you commit yourself again to the work before rest and glory that we anticipate will come when Jesus does? Amen. Let me lead you in a word of prayer. Father, strengthen us for the work. Help us not to stop now and rest and take too much comfort when we know that that's to come when you come. Remind us, help us remind each other about the reality of Jesus coming again. And we thank you for your faithfulness that we've seen in the past that gives us confidence that you will do as you said. Lord, we look forward to that day and help us work for it. In Jesus' name, amen.